I estimate that I use my uh, phone about probably six to seven hours each day, which is a lot. On average, I estimate that I use my phone for about four to five hours every day, which is more than double the recommended screen time by pediatricians in Hawaii. But I find that we're kind of just on our phones so often throughout the day that it doesn't seem like it accumulates to that much time. Thank you for joining us for Team Up, a parenting podcast produced by Punahou School. I'm Paris Priori Kim, principal of the junior school at Punahou, and I'm so excited for this inaugural podcast. We're honored to have a very special guest who will speak with us about a subject that I know is on a lot of parents' minds, which is the digital lives of kids and how parents can help their children manage this. Linda Birch is the co-founder and chief education and strategy officer of Common Sense Media, the nation's leading nonprofit focused on helping kids thrive in the digital world. She works with educators and schools across the globe, sharing information and offering strategies to help kids navigate the digital world. We're so very pleased to have you here, Linda. I wonder if you can start off by speaking a bit about some of the things that parents need to know and understand about the digital lives of their children. Well, it's just so great to be here um, at Punahou. And yeah, let's, let's start by trying to kind of discuss the landscape of our kids' lives, digital lives. What we all know as parents and as educators is that kids just spend a ton of time with media. The latest research is that kids are spending four and a half hours with media if they're tweens and seven and a half hours if they are teens. And that doesn't include the time that they spend in school. We all know that they're on their mobile phones all the time, and smartphone ownership has actually increased dramatically for all ages. So a quarter of kids typically own a phone when they're nine years old, and 70% by the time that they're 12. And that's up 40% in the past four years. So it's just been a dramatic rise. And then the aging down of media and tech and mobile usage to our youngest children has also happened at breathtaking speed. And so um, all kids today really are on mobile devices. And then, of course, there's social media, which is the new place that kids, particularly tweens and teens, are spending their time. Um, Since you're talking uh, about the amount of time that that kids spend, I know that there are very concrete questions like um, what's the right age for a child to have a cell phone, um, how do parents know that they're being used appropriately? Sure. Uh, Well, that question of what age to give your child a cell phone is the top question we get from parents across the country. And the answer really is that it depends a lot upon your child. So age isn't the most important question there. It's really about a kid's maturity level. It's about their ability to follow home and their school's rules and their sense of responsibility. So those are the questions you really need to ask yourself about the right age to give your child a phone. Typically across the country, the average age is 10. But there's no need to put a powerful tool and we know it's a powerful tool into the hands of a young child without thinking about it deeply. The questions that we often ask uh, a parent to think about when they're thinking about the right age for their kid is, 
does your kid show a sense of responsibility, such as letting you know when they're leaving the house? Uh, do they show up when they say they will? Do your kids tend to lose things, such as backpacks or homework folders? And if so, you can expect that they may have difficulty keeping track of the smartphone. Do you think they'll use cell phones responsibly? Um, for example, not texting uh, during a class or disturbing others with their phone conversations? Will they use it in a kind way? Will they text photo and use the video functions in ways that connect with their friends but don't embarrass or harass others? Do your kids need to be in touch for safety reasons? Some parents need to know how to connect with their kids after school. And would having easy access to their friends via phone benefit them from a social perspective? Some kids really have difficulty reaching out and making friendships, and having a phone can be a positive way to get started. So it really depends on your child, and you know your child best. And on average, I would say, don't rush into it. I think upper elementary is really the earliest to give a child a phone, and they don't need to have a smartphone. It can be a simple phone that just allows them to connect. By and large, people are saying 13 is the right age. What I believe you're saying is that there are a number of questions that parents can ask that, that bring them to a better understanding of of their child and their, their child's needs, um, their child's ability to, to manage the responsibility. You talked about how social media contributes to overall anxiety or to some kids' anxiety, but I think that what was cool about last night is you talked about how some kids represent, were, were anxious about it and some kids were like, I gotta have it, or there was a, a duality to it. Right, right. So when it comes to social media, there is, first and foremost, there is a question about age in this, in this context because all of these social media platforms are not supposed to be actually attracting kids who are under 13 onto their sites. And so there's, there is a more of a black line, at least from that perspective. Um, that being said, once again, it's all about knowing your child and determining whether or not they're ready. So on the one hand, there are some wonderful aspects of social media. There are kids who are expressing themselves creatively by creating video. There are ways in which they connect with friends or family thousands of miles away. There are kids who have harnessed social media in order to you know, begin social movements. Think about Greta Thunberg. So there are lots of reasons to just think about it in a positive way, not be fearful about it. And the truth of the matter is, this is the way our kids are socializing today. And so it's not going to go away. You've got to embrace it and understand it deeply. And they're doing that because that's what they're supposed to be doing at this age. It's developmentally appropriate. They're supposed to be connecting with friends, figuring out who they are, uh, trying on new personalities even. And all of that is normal and understandable. It's just happening in this context, which is very different from when we were growing up. Huge audiences, 
the ability to cut and paste and send what they post and what they chat about to huge audiences. So while it's wonderful and good and can be good, there are also some challenges and downsides to it. And those are things like cyberbullying. That's a uh, uh, these are platforms in which lots of mean behavior across the spectrum from just saying mean comments to really egregious hate speech can, can surface. There are ways in which through social comparison and trying to curate the perfect self, kids really focus a lot on the physical as opposed to the emotional there are ways in which uh, they can be used to kind of connect with adults in ways that aren't particularly uh, positive and can be scary, both to parents and to kids themselves. So once you let your child step onto social media, you are opening this whole world that means that you have to pay attention, you have to engage and understand it. There are a couple of factors that are most important for parents to understand. Uh, the question of geolocation is a big one because that opens them up to being able to connect with people that they don't know. Every year, Common Sense publishes a blog post about you know 10 sites that your kids are going that you should know about. And it's always the most trafficked uh, blog on our on our website. And I think it's because it highlights what are the features of the social media platforms that you need to be aware of as a parent because they're going to change over time. There are new ones popping up every day and it's really hard to keep up to specific names. But knowing some of the trickier aspects of them is helpful. So one of them is geolocation. It's a new feature that now is embedded in Instagram and Snapchat, and it's problematic in two ways. One, if kids are identifying their location, obviously, and they're on a site where there are adults that they don't know, there are some issues around safety. They don't happen very frequently, but it's important to know about. The second reason that is a little bit more meaningful, I think, in this day and age, is that it's all part of the potential to exclude kids socially online and through social media. It can be used in order to cyberbully and exclude. So for example, on Snapchat, there's something called Snap Maps, which allows kids to have an avatar. And you can look on the Snap Map and your teen will know that there's a group of their friends hanging out at the beach and they haven't been included. So turning off geolocation or advising your child not to turn it on, that's an important aspect of social media. There are other types of social media that are group video chat, which, you know, in which 20, 50, sometimes 100 kids can be online having a group video chat, typically at night when they're supposed to be going to sleep. There are opportunities there as well to go into a separate chat room with just eight kids and exclude, exclude others. So there are these anonymous apps that are like burn books where kids are asking for honest feedback and they're just 
an invitation to cyberbullying. Mean comments abound on them. So those are the types of social media that you should be really looking out for. How would you advise parents who need to balance uh, respect for their child's privacy versus a, a need to know? I think you have to take a developmental look at it um, and think about giving your child more and more autonomy the older they get. When they're young, let's say you choose to give your child a cell phone in upper elementary or right when they're 13 and they move into middle school, that's the point in time, that's a threshold moment and decision for you. And you should do it in the context of sitting down with them and talking about expectations. And typically, that means you are going to get your first phone. I'd like to know your password. I'm going to check it every once in a while. I'm going to ask you if um, I can check it because I want to make sure that I understand what your world is about and how you're using it. And so when you set that expectation at an early age, over time, you give them more autonomy. And it really comes down to only saying to a high school student, when I'm worried about you, then I am going to actually ask to see it. And what I'd really prefer to do is trust you. And when you begin to encounter something that makes you feel uncomfortable, whether it's a request to text, or there's a group of kids who you feel are just not treating each other well online, that you let me know about it. You know, you talk to me about it. Um, that's, that's the way in which you move across the ages with giving them more autonomy. Because what we want to do is help them navigate this digital world on their own. You spoke about um, starting this dialogue when children are young, which makes a ton of sense, and working your way up towards um, towards the, the more difficult conversations as they as they become more independent in their in their teens. I'm wondering for those parents who um, might not have taken the opportunity or, or known to take the opportunity um, or known how to take the opportunity when their children were young, and they're now facing a teenager who's immersed in this world. First of all, it's never too late. It's really important to know it's never too late to, to begin having these conversations. Your entry point may be a little different. Your entry point may be that you want to really understand their world. You want to embrace their world. You want to ask them questions. What do you love about what you're doing on social media? Where are you, what are you doing with it these days? It's about trying to show your curiosity so that you haven't scared them into thinking you're going to shut it down. That's incredibly important. So it's little questions around their interests and around the places they're going and what they're doing and what they love about it. Because then you have an opportunity to express your values and then to start setting some boundaries and guidelines. I find that the simplest and clearest ones are the best way to go uh, because kids are looking for your line in the sand. Uh, and a really easy one to start with is about cell phones and sleep. Make a rule that there won't be cell phones in the bedroom that you don't want your kids to go to sleep with them. 
because they tend to wake up in the middle of the night. They're tethered to their technology. They may get up and text with their friends. But if there's a rule that says, we're going to take our cell phones, we're going to plug it into a central charging station at night, or even, frankly, you know, closer to your bedroom, if that makes sense, that's a really clear expectation, and they can understand it. And then that allows you to move into some other boundary setting that may have to do with the amount of time, device-free zones, such as no texting or cell phones at the table during dinner. You may want to set a rule about uh, texting and cell phones in the car, on vacations. And the conversation is about not not letting them have their uh, time with their friends, but to have time that is device-free and that is about connecting with other people. It's grounded then in the values that you care about rather than the limits that you're going to set. Beautiful. You know, it that ties into one of the, the things that um, we are asked most about in terms of balance and um, um, and it's actually something that is an integral part of our digital citizenship curriculum here. Um, we, we focus on media balance. So thanks for giving uh, parents tips that they can use at home. We work with kids in school around that. Um, another component of our curriculum is uh, media literacy. And I know you've um, spoken a bit about how we need to help kids discern um, between what's what's real news, what's disinformation or misinformation. Um, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about about that. Yeah, that is a core component of our digital citizenship curriculum, and I I know it's part of what Punahou is teaching. Uh, I think it's really important in this day and age because tweens and teens are getting most of their news from social media. And we know that social media has a lot of things on it that are not real and accurate and fact-based. And so it's important to teach kids, and this is a great role for schools, to teach kids to be critical consumers of media, um, to know how to fact-check, to laterally read, to think about who's the author. And it's evolved in a way now that it's not just about text, it's about images. So there are things like deep fake videos in which you know President Obama may be saying things uh, coming out of his mouth that you know he would never say in real life. And so that's a piece that we focus on a lot. And then there can be conversations at home about the same topics. And kids are just tethered to their technology. And that uh, creates real social anxiety uh, for them. And it's becoming clear that the tech industry isn't neutral in all of this. Uh, this is the piece that most parents don't know about and don't talk to their kids about. It's probably the biggest gap, I would think, in kind of knowledge that I want to share, which is, you know, this technology is being designed to be persuasive and addictive, to keep kids hooked and online. So whether it's likes or it's auto replay or it's the pings of notification that uh, bring kids to their phones, a little dopamine rush that says, hey, I've got friends, um, those are the things that are keeping them on their devices. 
And that is an important thing for you to understand as a parent because then you have more empathy for why they're hooked and why they can't disengage. And having a conversation about, did you, do you really understand that these are algorithms that are keeping you online? It's a great way to have a conversation with kids about disengaging from tech. Um, no kid wants to be duped by anyone. And they have, uh, you can have a very different kind of conversation uh, once that's part of the picture. And then there's the question of, you know, how is all this time with media and technology affecting our kids' mental health? A couple of years ago, there was an article in The Atlantic uh, written by a researcher named Jean Twenge who looked at the correlation between rising levels of anxiety, depression, and suicide among teens and tweens in the U.S. Is all this technology contributing to a mental health crisis? The truth of the matter is it's complicated because there is as much evidence that kids are getting a lot out of media in terms of social connection as there is that there are these downsides. Uh, but as parents, we stop and we say, you know, is it affecting their ability to have meaningful social relationships? Is it leading to their feeling of being left out. And even if the research is, is complicated, we all know that there's something going on. And I think there was one student uh, who we interviewed who said it nicely. You know, he said, it's hard to have peace of mind, to truly relax, because even if your phone's on the table, and even if you're not looking at it, you know that something is there. There's a message or an experience waiting to be answered or joined. It's like a parallel universe you're carrying around in your head every day, and it's really stressful. And so when we think about kids today and their social media lives and their connections to technology, you know, that's what we need to think about. How do we support them? There. How do we help them disengage from a friend who wants them to be in a Snapchat and a Snap streak forever and help them understand that they can set some boundaries and they're not going to lose that friendship? How do we find ways to communicate um, how to have a healthy balance? Those are the questions that we should be asking ourselves as adults and helping our kids navigate through. Thanks so much. I think there's absolutely nothing more important to parents and to teachers than children's safety and health and well-being. Um, and you've done a wonderful job of helping us see how um, sometimes there are expectations that need to be set, sometimes there are lines in the sand that need to be drawn, but most of all, you've given us lots of entry points into um, really caring conversations with our children, which is sort of the basis of of all the, the teaching and learning that we do as parents and as, as educators. There is a really wonderful collection of general tips that you have to help parents set them up for success um, in support of their children, and I'm hoping you can um, uh, leave us with some of those. One of the most important things is to think of yourself as a media mentor. And many of us think we need to have all the answers or we just stick our heads in the sand and hope for the best. 
but as it happens, the middle of road is probably just right. There's a researcher named Alexandra Samuel who surveyed 10,000 American families and found that some parents, she calls them limiters, place strict, strict limits on media and technology use. And others, about a third of them, they just let their kids do everything. She calls them enablers. But about a third of parents, whom she calls media mentors, consistently engage with their kids in topics about media and technology. They share their media with their kids, and she calls them media mentors. And so that's exactly what you're hoping for, to be a media mentor. So here, here are some tips about how to do that, how to be a media mentor. First and foremost, you, know your, you have to know your kid and understand their media lives. So you need to do your homework. You have to embrace their world and educate yourself about their digital lives. You can do that best by just asking them questions about what they like and love and what they're doing these days. Uh, you can go to sites that are meant for parents to learn about media and tech. Common Sense Media has a wealth of resources and high quality content makes a big difference in how kids interact with media. So, you know, parents who seek out uh, good content by checking reviews or surveying friends and exploring content themselves, they expose their kids to better stuff. And so that's a starting point. And we have on our website, commonsense.org, we have ratings and reviews of all kinds of media, movies, TV, apps, games, websites um, to help parents choose great age-appropriate media, and then lots of parent tips about how to navigate the digital world with your kids. Here are the key tips. Know your kid and do your homework. Co-use media with your kids and follow their interests. So, you know, play games with them, go on the websites that they like to frequent, watch YouTube videos that they like, understand their interests, where they're going, um, if you've got a kid who loves dinosaurs, then go to a dinosaur site. If your child likes Minecraft, play Minecraft with them. And you can use their interests um, to support you know, really positive engagement. You need to set boundaries and expectations. That's third. Uh, time and place limits, the types of content... Set expectations about how do you want to treat others online, how they need to be kind, how you want to make sure that they're not using social media to harass or embarrass another child. Um, you can do this in an interesting way by uh, a family media agreement. There's a really good example of that on the Common Sense Media website. And I like to suggest to parents not to use it as a contract, but to use it as a checklist to have a conversation with your child about what do they think are the right time limits. You can have a discussion about that and then agree. Um, setting device-free zones and times. Uh, this keeps certain areas sacred, the dinner table, bedrooms, the car, and it also helps kids know what are the lines that they you know, really need to stay within, the guardrails. And then... You should support digital citizenship in your kid's school because that's the way in which they're going to practice some of these behaviors and learn about them. 
and then bring activities home to do with you, participate in those. And finally, you have to be a good role model. You have to look at your own device use and understand how you can limit it. There are lots of things that parents can do better as well in terms of the time you spend looking up from your phone when your child walks in, having a conversation, uh, turning off the notifications so you aren't interrupted in the middle of your own sleep or your own other activities. Learn about parental controls and the digital well-being features on your phones. There are ways to turn your phone to grayscale, and in which case, you know, the bright features that pop and bring both kids and adults to their phone continuously are less of a problem. There are ways to set time limits on most kinds of social media, gaming, and phones even. Uh, Geolocation, you can turn it off. So these are the things that you need to engage with, and every platform and every phone is different, but they all have features that are meant for parents to understand. Linda, you've really inspired us to pivot from a didactic, reactive approach to a really proactive approach that is all about empowering our children and helping them build the skills that allow them to thrive in the digital world. Um, This is very, very hopeful, and I'm wondering whether you have any final thoughts about that. Despite the challenges of this ever-evolving digital world, I think there are a lot of reasons to be hopeful. You know, great media and technology can inspire, it can enable, it can connect us, and it's a powerful way to learn as well. Approaching digital citizenship and digital well-being as school communities and families and a nation means we're all in this together. And that gives me hope because kids are our future and this digital world is going to be their world and we profoundly want it to be a world that we are proud for them to inherit and one in which they will thrive. Thank you so much, Linda, for your heart for this work, for the depth of your work. It is profoundly important and extremely meaningful to us um, who take our responsibilities to children very, very seriously. We're Deeply, deeply grateful that you took this time to do this with us, to spend the time sharing your wisdom. We've learned so very much from you. I'd also like to thank our audience for listening to Punahou's first ever podcast. We're so excited to be sharing information with parents in new ways. We have a great lineup of guests who will be addressing all kinds of issues that matter to parents. So please check back for episodes to come and be sure to learn more from Linda Birch and Common Sense Media by visiting commonsensemedia.org. For more information or for links to resources mentioned in this podcast, go to bulletin.punahou.edu slash podcast. <laughs>